Hi guys, welcome to Flowcast, a podcast by Flowout where we chat with successful entrepreneurs, freelancers, and other amazing professionals that are crushing it in their game. My name is Flo, and I'll be your host on this audio journey. In this week's episode, I'll chat with Madison Campbell, who is helping sexual assault victims through technological innovation as the CEO of Leda Help. We have tons of interesting and important topics to get through, so... Without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy the conversation. Madison, welcome. We're thrilled to have you here. I believe listeners, as well as myself, have a ton to learn from you. And I'm I'm excited to start with this episode. Well, I'm very excited to be here. Thank you for having me on. We like to start our episodes here at Flowcast by getting to know our guests a bit better. And we usually do that by asking them how would their friends and family describe them. So who's Madison? Um, I think friends and family would describe me as someone who doesn't give up. Um, so a lot of perseverance, um, a lot of grit is um, what I would say. And I think you get that from, you know, constantly being on the defense, trying to, you know, have to fight um, for what you believe in and fight for your company. And so I think that's where that comes in. I think that's how people would describe me. Yeah, that sounds, uh, your company really resonates that, uh, I have to say. Um, But I'm also a bit curious about your background. Uh, Where are you coming from? What did you study? How did your journey to become a co-founder until today uh, happen? So um, I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, I wanted to actually be an actress um, or like be in entertainment. Um, Obviously, uh, that didn't work out. Um, (laughs) But I ended up not going and moving forward um, into going, you know, to a conservatory after uh, high school. And um, instead, what I ended up doing is going to college to study epidemiology. However, my last semester of college, I actually dropped out. And so I am a college dropout, as some of the you know best founders tend to be. Um, but I did almost make it through, and all of my work was specifically around public health and epidemiology. All right, um, and it later turned out that this will be your specialty, the health industry in the business journey as well. Um, what do you think are you already mentioned the perseverance? Uh, some of your other unique skills that helped you to become the successful person you are today? I think not being afraid of rejection is uh, a big thing that I learned actually from kind of going into entertainment at a young age, right? I was singing, I was dancing, um, I was trying to do, you know, musical theater, et cetera, et cetera. And so when you're constantly auditioning, I feel like through that audition process, oftentimes you will get rejected. You won't get a part, right? But what you have to continue doing over and over again is not letting anyone tell you that you're not good enough, right? You have to continue moving forward. And so that's what I ended up doing. And so I think that, you know, inability to be fearful of rejection has really made me a good entrepreneur or is, you know, allowed me to continue moving forward because unfortunately, you know, entrepreneurs are constantly rejected every single day, whether it's from investors or from, you know, folks that you're trying to sell to. And so I think if you can handle that, you can handle just about anything. Exactly. Yeah. It's an important skills in business, but also in life. And 
we already talked about uh, what do you do? You're CEO at Leather Health, but you're also a co-founder. And we really love to hear founders actually talk about their companies, about their product. So we'd like to hear from you. Uh, what does Leather Health do? Yeah, so we started as a company kind of only doing a very small amount of things, um, really focusing on, you know, just the evidence collection after sexual assault. But really kind of what we have grown to be is a healthcare platform for survivors of sexual assault. We are officially HIPAA compliant and we are able to help um, sexual assault survivors in the aftermath of assault, not only with evidence collection, but also toxicology, STI testing, emergency contraceptive, or just having someone to talk to you about what your options are. So that's kind of what Lita has um, you know, grown into. But originally, I think most ideas are small. You have to you know, start one place. But really, I think what we realized is this is a company and a problem that deserves a holistic solution. And that's why we've really tried to approach it from a holistic lens. Yeah, it's a very interesting space that you work in. Healthcare industry is a field a lot of people are familiar with, uh, maybe now after uh, or maybe still during uh, the COVID era, people have become actually more familiar with it but maybe not so knowledgeable about it. Um, what are some specific of the healthcare industry that you're working in? So specifically in drug testing, kind of women's health generally. So you're talking about um, uh, STIs that a person might have, or maybe they were drugged with rohypnol, ketamine, or GHB. We're able to test that and get help to folks um, or get prophylaxis to those folks as well. And so that's kind of what we're looking at in terms of the aftermath, right? Addressing the immediate medical problems. Um, and of course, you know, what we truly think about is by addressing the immediate medical problems, we are really helping that person for the long term. And so, you know, it's not just about those 48 hours, it's about the next four years. And what that means um, in terms of your sexual well-being, in terms of your personal well-being, your mental well-being. And so that's why we try to come in as quickly as possible. Yeah, actually researching this, um, I found that uh, the overwhelming majority of sexual assaults, uh, assaulted women or victims do not seek medical care uh, help afterwards. Um, there are some obviously obvious reasons for this. Um, in your experience, in your research, uh, what are some reasons uh, for that? I think some of the reasons why people might not seek medical care is, you know, in a lot of high schools, we don't even teach people what to do after a sexual assault. So I think oftentimes with crime, we, you know, we... What we understand to be true is, oh, if I'm a victim of crime, I call 911 or the equivalent, depending on what country I'm in. You know, with sexual assault, I think a lot of people don't really understand what those next steps are. And so it leaves you kind of guessing. It leaves you in the era of trying to Google things to try to figure out what my options are. And I think all of that together is why a lot of folks, you know, don't want to move forward. I personally was a survivor of sexual assault. And for me, it wasn't necessarily about not knowing what to do. At that point, I did know what to do. I didn't know the correct steps, but I decided not to move forward because I didn't feel comfortable having anyone touch me. 
right? And so I think it's very different when you're triaging something yourself. You know, if something happened to you and you're bandaging yourself up, you you're taking care of that for yourself. And I think it's very um, it's very hard to have somebody in the moment of trauma have to touch you, touch your body, especially in you know an atmosphere where after sexual assault, what you feel is that you don't want anyone to touch you ever again, right? I think there's a lot of problems that survivors have, myself included, after sexual assault, getting into normal, healthy relationships, romantic relationships. And so, you know, when you have that era of distrust, it not only extends to your personal relationships, but oftentimes it extends to the relationships that you might have with a practitioner. Yeah, it's definitely a very delicate issue. Um, so I guess it's also challenging reaching customers doing market research with um, actual customers who are obviously victims. Um, was that challenging for you? How did you approach this? Yeah, I think, you know, I, I am, um, I, it's hard to say the word lucky, but uh, I, you know, if, if I were starting any other company um, and I was saying, oh, let me reach out and see if people have this problem, unfortunately, but also fortunately for me and being able to try to figure out how to build this company, too many of my friends and family members are victims of assault, um, domestic violence, you name it. And so when we started the company, it really was not only about my personal story and that being the reason why I wanted to move forward, but truly it was about the fact that this story has touched so many lives. Um, it's probably touched many people that you know, even if they haven't spoke up about it. And so really it was just about reaching out to my friends and family and having conversations about, you know, the thing that we know happens, but no one wants to talk about. And what would you have wanted had resources been available to you when that happened? Was um, the problem you're solving being kind of a taboo topic um, a big hurdle. Um, how did you expect it to go um, in terms of publicity, promotion? You have a lot of pushback. Oh, we had tons of pushback and we continue to have tons of pushback. And I believe that we will always have pushback. I think when you deal with a taboo topic or a topic that makes people a little bit uncomfortable, you're always going to have reactions, um, very positive and very negative. And so I think that comes back to, you know, my ability to not fear rejection is, you know, I don't get scared um, simply because uh, people are saying, you know, I have criticisms of what you're doing. I think if anything, I want to listen to those criticisms and make our offering better. I see. Um, and your offering is constantly expanding. You develop uh, several yeah. products by now. Um, how do you approach building this? new products with leather? I think the biggest thing that, you know, the way that we determine new products is really looking at, you know, what are survivors wanting and what would they get in a normal setting? And can we bring that setting to them in a telehealth way? And so I think that that's the biggest thing of how we approach it is we are basically looking at you know, um, if you were to go to a hospital, this is what would happen to you, A, B, C, D. And, you know, initially when we started the company, say we only had A, right? That was one thing. And now as we grow the company, we want to be able to say we have A, B, C, D, E, F. And by the way, even the hospital doesn't have G, but we created that, right? And so like one of the things that we're able to create um, 
you know, is the ability to get a talk screen. And in a lot of places, it's very difficult to get a talk screen. Um, so toxicology screen for drugs. So we always want to make sure that we are at the forefront of providing the best resources as possible. Are there multiple providers? Uh, do you have a lot of, let's say, competition, even though you're working towards the same goal? So we don't have competition in the traditional startup way, right? Where we would say, oh, there's a private you know, market here, there's a private market here. Instead, we have competition kind of from a nonprofit or government um, side. And so that's kind of what we look at. Um, and, you know, the, the way I view it is not as competition. These are people that, you know, we can work with because we won't be able to serve every single person. Um, and some people will want in-person care. So it's about working with those community organizations to try to get uh, them access to having folks come to them if we cannot serve them. And your products have received uh, multiple innovation awards. Um, how do you differentiate them? Is it also part of you being from studying in the medical field, so on? Uh, what does the team, uh, the development team look like? Well, I think the great thing about differentiation when it comes to the products that we've created is we're very lucky to just not have anyone who decided they wanted to do this. And I don't blame them because what we're doing is incredibly difficult, both from a legal and regulatory standpoint. And so, you know, we haven't had much competition there, but the way that we differentiate ourselves is looking at the amazing technology that's happening in, in different ways, you know, from a healthcare sense. So, you know, I, I think for a while, self-testing was something that was not done even in genetics. And now when we created our product, we looked at products like 23andMe, tried to determine how that was created and, you know, um, and, and how that was very efficient and consumer friendly and tried to build ourselves from that. And obviously investors have recognized your efforts. You've raised significant amounts of money, but I believe it wasn't easy. Can you tell me a bit more about the process of raising funds? Fundraising is never easy, especially we are a, you know, two female founders um, as our team, where um, even last year, uh, I think the rate is 1.9% of female founders um, were able to get venture funding, which was down um, from, I think, around 3% the previous year. And what I think is an interesting statistic as well is if you at least have one male founder that um, percentage of likelihood of getting fundraising goes up to 17%. And so I think we came into this already kind of at a disadvantage, just being by the nature of having two female founders. Um, but we haven't let that stop us. And we've been able to raise $9.4 million to date. I see, obviously, um, being two female founders, it's very rare. And on top of that, you work on this topic that is maybe like, not so easily accepted by everyone or it's a bit taboo as we said before um, are were there any other big challenges uh, on your way uh, what kind of obstacles did you face have you ever been uh, rejected because of some things that you thought um, were not uh, a good reason to be rejected yeah i mean i think we've gotten rejected um a lot um <laughs> you know uh if if we weren't rejected, I, I, you know, I would, I'd be worried that when you get so much positivity, then the negativity usually comes way down the line. I think the greatest thing about everything that we've done is we've been rejected from day one, right? Like our, 
everything we're doing has been highly, highly criticized um, for the nature of it, whether it makes sense for survivors to have access to it. And so that criticism has come into play, not only in sales, but it's come into play in investment. And, you know, my belief is that if you don't believe in it, if you don't see this, then, you know, you're just going to have to wait and see, and we will prove you wrong. Yeah. And after time with over 9 million pounds raised, obviously you were doing something right. So um, what did your pitch look like? Uh, can you give us a short one? Yeah, um, I think the pitch was something, you know, it, it's changed over the years. And um, of course, uh, you know, I'm a little bit rusty. It's been about a year since I had to fundraise. But, you know, it's something like, you know, hi, my name is Madison Campbell. I'm the CEO of Lita Health. And we are a company for survivors by survivors. And what we're trying to build is a world, not necessarily for my generation, but for future generations, a world in which we do not have to worry about sexual assault anymore because we have created the resources, prevention, and education to stop sexual assault from happening in the first place. I see. Yeah. And where you already contacted by VCs or did you actually have to do some sort of outreach and then even on top of that, provide this moving pitch to yeah. get the resources? Yeah. I mean, we've always had to do outbound, right? I came into this industry having never been a founder, having never worked in Silicon Valley, never been a part of the industry. And so everything we've done has been through hard work, and reaching out and trying to get our name out there. What was that process like? Where did you find VCs, uh, networking connections? How does that work? I think pitch competitions are a really great way to start. Also, we were part of an accelerator. But honestly, what I would recommend for any new founders is somehow Twitter is a really good networking tool. I don't think I knew that back then. I was very much on LinkedIn. But Twitter really can be a good networking tool, especially for pre-seed and seed founders. I see. And we already talked about a bit the setbacks of um, society perceiving two uh, female founders. Um, the Leather Health is led by women. Is it the majority of the team female as well? Uh, yes, <laughs> yes. Like? Um, I believe we only have one male on the team. Um, who is an employee. So yes. <laughs> um, and um, he is amazing and really great. Um, and so he's a welcome addition to the company. But yes, we are all run by women. So you're a great person to ask on your stance on empowering women in business and especially in tech. Yeah, I don't even think it's a, I don't even think that it's a question about why you know, we have the ability to not only lead companies, raise money, but also come up with new and innovative ideas, especially in regards to healthcare, right? Women have been, you know, managing not only their own healthcare, but oftentimes children's healthcare, right? We manage a lot. And so I see um, women as the perfect entrepreneurs to start companies in the healthcare field, because we truly do understand a variety of healthcare needs. Are you also in charge of building your team, of recruiting? Oh, yeah. I mean, as a founder, I think you do it all, right? You recruit, you find the person who you believe is going to be the best, 
Um, and then hopefully you have those people feel empowered that they can bring in folks that they've previously worked with into the company. So that's truly, you know, kind of how I view the recruiting process. What are some of the qualities you're looking for uh, in your team? Um, do you have a lot of people reach out to you wanting to work for Leather Health? Yeah, we definitely do. And I think the quality we're now looking for the most is, you know, not only passionate about the subject matter, I think that's just one part, but true subject matter expertise, right? I think, you know, for a long time, we thought we could teach people kind of just how complex this industry was. And now we are bringing people in with, you know, 10, 20, 30 years of experience in doing this type of work, because it is very complex. Um, it is a very serious line of business, and we want to bring the best of the best to the table. Mm, I see. Um, on top of all of your success, which is obviously measured with helping uh, the victims, you've also been named on the Forbes 30 under 30 list. Uh, was that a big milestone for you? How do you view these achievements? I, I was definitely very excited about it. Um, I think in the moments after, um, it happened. And then I think in the day after, um, I was like, well, um, that happened. That's, you know, cool, but I have to get back to work. And so that's generally how I felt. I think I had about 24 hours of excitement before I felt like that really didn't mean as much as, as I thought it would mean. And in fact, just means that I have to work harder. Yeah. So obviously there are more and higher goals to be acquired. And maybe you can speak a bit uh, about that. Uh, what's the vision? Uh, what are the future goals for Leather Health? Yeah, I mean, I know a lot of companies are are struggling right now with the markets, you know, the way they are. You know, for us, it's not necessarily about thinking about acquisition or IPO. It's truly thinking about how our product can help as many people as possible. And, you know, our goal is to keep our company around to make that goal happen. What's uh, the actual strategy? of expanding uh, obviously there are some challenges in targeting clients and i believe you actually have a um, not a, a usual strategy of not going actually b2c but um, there are some other ways yeah we definitely um approach this from a b2b angle and so it is very challenging you know in terms of uh the sales cycle sales cycles tend to be incredibly long but, you know, the way that we view this is um, we want to make sure that we are addressing the needs of everyone that we meet, which means that, you know, oftentimes we can meet a client and their needs can change, you know, within the contracting or proposal period. And we want to make sure that we have everything that that client or employer or institution needs in order to address sexual assault um, within their constituency. I see. Yeah, obviously, it's a very specific, feels very specific area, but also with some uh, nuances that can be transferable to other startups. Um, before I let you go, um, I know you've been through a very interesting journey. I uh, talked with a lot of interesting people. I want to ask you on what's the best advice you've ever received and how did you implement it? Yeah, um, I think the best advice, and it's it was less about how I implemented it, because I think it's hard um, sometimes to 
implement advice as it, as it's just to listen to it and see if it'll happen. Um, you know, the, the piece of advice I got was, uh, someone told me, Madison, you know, I, I was, I was talking about an idea that I had and I was basically asking a mentor of mine, what's the worst that could happen? And he said, you know, the worst thing that can happen is you get a cease and desist. And I said, okay, well, what is the second worst thing that can happen? He said, well, you get a second cease and desist. And so um, I know that's kind of, you know, jovial, but basically, you know, I think the moral of that story or the moral of that lesson is, you know, the worst thing that can happen is not as bad as even the first thing that you think could happen. And so why not go for it? Why not put yourself out there? Yeah, perfect. Why not go for it? It's a, uh, it's a good thought to have, especially in this startup world. Uh, in this last segment of our podcast, we ask our guests uh, five rapid choir fetch, uh, questions, and I'm sure your favorite will be good recommendations uh, for our listeners. Amazing. Okay. Um, what's your favorite book? Um, <laughs> what is my favorite book? Um, probably Laws of Power by Robert Greene. Got you. Listen to any podcast. What's your favorite? Um, I listen to a lot of movie podcasts. Um, so one of my favorite that I've been listening to is actually the last of us, which is a new HBO show based off of the video game. It's actually the follow along from HBO about how the show was made. Nice. Most used app on your phone. Email. <laughs> All right. And to finish off on a lighter note, what's your favorite hobby? Um, I actually sing opera. <laughs> oh, wow. Impressive. Yeah. Uh, I mean, very loud. But um, <laughs> yes, uh, it, you know, not really great when you live in an apartment. But generally speaking, it's a it's a good party treat. Got you. Mason, it was uh, great to have you here. Um, the conversation was uh, so important to have. And um, I learned a lot and I hope our listeners will as well. Uh, I wish you all the best on the business and personal journey and hope to chat again with you soon. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for having me.